Welcome, baseball family, to another one of our fantastic interviews. We have a very special guest today with us, Paul Hembakitis, or you also know him as Hembo. You probably heard him on ESPN. Uh, welcome, Paul. How you doing? Or Hembo? Sorry, how you doing today? <laughs> yes, please <laughs> refer to me using my corporate nickname for the rest of the interview. Forthwith, I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be with you guys and talk some baseball. This has been a, this book's been uh, you know crazy. Like this book that we're promoting has been like the the. the the interest in it, the opinions that it has uh, created, the debate that it has engendered, the whole nine yards. So I'm looking forward to to dabbling in that a little bit, but also talking some baseball because I think this is poised to be one of the best seasons we've had, at least in recent memory. Agree. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Okay, let's yeah. get into it real quick. First, we're going to start with a rundown that we do with all of our guests. Our first question for you, Hembo, what is your quest? My quest. I can define that however I'd like. However you'd yep. like. Fantastic. Um, uh, my quest is to to realize my dreams by doing what you guys are doing. I, I would love to talk about baseball for a living. If you ask me, like, what my dream job might be ten years from now, it would be that some person was stupid or silly enough to pay me money to talk about baseball and nothing else. So that would be that would be my quest. So obviously, there are uh, greater things, larger things in life. I have two kids, I, like two. I, my, my wife and I had baby girls, la- like literally two people, uh, <laughs> twins last <laughs> August. So there are other things in life, obviously, that are more important than baseball, but very few. So my, my quest, right. at least from a right. career standpoint, would be, be would be to be paid money to talk about baseball and nothing aside from baseball. Yeah, we can relate to that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> my next question for you, what is your favorite color? My favorite color is blue. Um, it always has been. I don't exactly know why. I've always been attracted to blue. Something like the color of blue that you're wearing on your hat right now, like a darker, like a darker shade, navy shade kind of yeah. blue. Um, although I, I'm thinking through all my, I'm a Philly guy, so I'm thinking through all my Philly teams, and there's a little splash of blue with the Sixers, but that's about it. So uh, I haven't yeah. been, I haven't been defiled too much by my Philly brethren. So <laughs> dark blue, and that's my final answer. All right, nice. So the Phillies then is your favorite team? Is that correct? Correct yeah, I've been rooting for the Phillies passionately since something like 2000. I was born in Baltimore, so I was like I came to age as a fan of the Orioles and Cal Ripken, but my family moved there early enough in life to where I eventually switched my allegiance to the Phillies, and that was actually a pretty good time to do that, as it turns out. That's awesome. Yeah, it would be. So if the Phillies were a beverage, what would they be? Um, if the Phillies were a beverage, what would it be? Uh, man, it's an interesting question. Not one that I would uh, I've obviously thought of uh, before. <laughs> How about like a like a like a pineapple or mango high noon or white claw? So like like I want I want to be able to consume it. It's refreshing. All right, it makes me feel great about myself. It makes me feel great about the day, and I can consume it every single day if I really want to. Probably not smart to watch the Phillies play <laughs> times a year, but that's gonna be my answer to this question. Like a a, a flavor of like a sparkling or, or like a uh, spiked seltzer that I favor, and I would say if I if you want to do it 162 times a year, you could, but it's not gonna be so great for your health. That's a fact. (laughs) I used to do that. (laughs) That's part of my story. But anyway, (laughs) Hembo, if baseball were an ice cream flavor, what would it be? Man, so um, baseball last year uh, would have been vanilla because baseball last year had so little flavor. Um, Baseball now is Sherbert because what we've got, what we've done in, in the game is inject so much more athleticism, so much more pace, so much more tempo, so much more action, so much more stuff. And baseball is fundamentally better because of it. I can like vanilla and sherbet both. I happen to like both. Um, but I think the sherbet in this case applies to a, a larger swath of audience, uh, a larger portion of the fan base. And I'm the kind of fan that would watch no matter what. But I'm not I, I'm not the person for whom the, these rules apply. So I think right. what baseball is doing is great. And I, as a result, I'm watching a lot more baseball, like a lot of people, and eating a lot more sherbet, as it were. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, we it. actually Excellent. have that question about what baseball needs. Okay. Do you think these are good changes? That's one of the first questions we were going to ask. Awesome. Do you want me to dive into it right now? 
yeah, yeah go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So I am, I'm like a traditional older school fan. Like I'm a huge baseball history guy. I am a big fan of the unwritten rules, baseball's tradition, all these things that, you know, have kind of been embedded in me as a fan and as a player from, from the time I was a very, uh, a very young fan. And so for the longest time, I think baseball's timelessness, shall we say, was a feature, right? It was like this one sport that had that. Now I think it's become a bug. And over the course of time, the players and the umpires abused the fact that they, were, that they weren't on a timer. And we got used to this sort of never-ending slog. And that turned off a lot of people, and rightfully so. This was a time in which society was speeding up. We became obsessed with football. And baseball was slowing down. Like, we were going in opposite direction. I think what the pitch clock has done, by the way, you haven't, you're not losing any baseball. You're losing 30 minutes right. of literally nothing. Totally. But what the pitch clock has done is not only given you half an hour of your life back, but much more importantly – it has improved baseball's pace of play. And so a lot more stuff happens in a more condensed period of time. That ultimately, I think, is the best thing for the game. And so I understand if you're a baseball traditionalist, you might not find yourself in favor of some of the new uh, rules and rules changes. I would challenge yourself, though, over the course of time, over the course of this season, I think that you'll find that you find yourself looking at your phone a lot less between pitches. I think you'll find yourself intrigued and excited by the, the additional stolen, stolen bases and some more base hits available for left-handed hitters and all the things that come as a result of this. And that's why... I was so confident that they were going to work because they workshop these things in the minor league for the last uh, few years. And we know for sure that they work because they tried it. That's the whole point of the minor league. I think they've gotten this thing mostly right. Right. Yeah. We've talked about that in a text thread. It was a couple of our, with a couple of our buddies that like Brig used to like read during baseball games between pitches, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like you can't do that anymore. Like <laughs> keep the book away, keep the phone away and actually watch the game now. And that was one thing that I talked about with the pitch clock as well is it's like the play clock in football. You know, when the play is going to happen. Like you've got a maximum of 40 seconds between plays, and now you've got a maximum of 15 seconds between pitches, 20 if there's somebody on base, but uh-huh. five seconds, who cares, right? Yeah, right. I mean, honestly, to me, like the game, this is not a progressive like step forward. Like I don't view this as mm-hmm. being like a woke decision by baseball, for lack of a better term. I view this as right. being like baseball being played at the speed in which it was intended to, right? If you watch a if you watch baseball, a baseball game at its zenith, when it was at, at its most popular, it looks something like what it does now. You know, like yeah. in terms of the speed, in terms of the tempo, in terms of the rhythm. Now, we're never going to get the starting pitcher throwing a complete game every fifth day. We're never going to get – we're not going to get the stolen bases like we saw in the 80s. Like those kinds of things aren't likely to happen. But if if the game is being played at the right speed, then we can deal with more strikeouts and more walks and the preponderance of home runs and things of that nature. Like it's important – like you're not going to change that kind of stuff about baseball right now because pitchers are so great, right? And like we're talking about like the most – this is the zenith of pitching. And so what we're going to do – like this is yeah. – you know, th- these rules are in part – you know, made hoping to curtail the fact that pitchers are so incredibly good now. But now if you yeah. let someone on base, you're not going to get off, uh, get let off the hook quite as easily. Now if you get yourself into a into, into a problem in, in, in a fifth inning, you can't slow down to a crawl. You have to keep pitching. We're going to see a lot of those beginnings exacerbated. And so I'm a fan, man. Like, I really am. And I think the, the pitch clock ultimately is going to wind up sort of blending in the background. It's going to become – it's not going to be top of mind anymore. And you're going to wonder yourself, why weren't we playing this fast for all these years, right? When Bitman World Series games were ending at midnight, for God's sakes. Um, that time is coming. Yeah. But I think part of it, Are too, you... is that there's always been the time. It's just that now it's being enforced. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. Bring sure. something Absolutely. Are you over the long ball, Hembo? Is that, did I catch wind of that maybe? So I don't want to go that, get off my lawny. I, I do think that baseball <laughs> at its best includes as many balls in play as possible. The problem is hitters are forced to make a trade-off now because pitchers pitchers are so good. Um, 
because bullpens are so good because velocity is so high that until you get to two strikes, you're really forced to swing uh, from your heels if you have home run power. Like the the possibility of being able to string together three consecutive hits in an inning to produce one run is so much harder now because pitchers are throwing so much harder, and it's so much more difficult. Like for a even a punch and Judy hitter now, you're going to strike out at least once every other game, whereas previously that would have been on like that would have been a lot of strikeouts. And Tony so, Gwynn doesn't I, exist anymore. Correct. If Tony Gwynn was playing right now, Tony Gwynn either wouldn't produce the value he did then or he would strike out twice as much. That's that's just how baseball is, you know. And if Tony Gwynn faced literally anyone in the Twins bullpen, for example, it would be uh, every one of those guys would be throwing way harder than they were throwing in the mid 90s when he was at his apex. Right. That's just that's just the fact of the matter. Like we can. Right. We know that pitchers and we know that athletes in general are better now than they ever were before, because we know in Olympic sports, they break all the records every year, pretty much. Like there are very few enduring records. Right. Baseball is no different right now. Pitchers are just ahead of um, position players. I understand the reflex to try and uh, try and homer. My do, my hope, and so far what the numbers say is that left-handed hitters are making a concerted effort not to launch the ball as much, and especially with two strikes. So my hope is that we continue to see that kind of progress made because if baseball can inject more batted balls and more base runners into the sport, that's going to be a fundamentally good thing for everyone who enjoys it like we do. Yeah. So we're, I have a quick question about athleticism in the long ball. Yeah, we yeah we're we're super into the bun. But I have a quick question for you about athleticism. Like this is a hill that I am probably going to end up dying on. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Babe Ruth wouldn't be able to compete in today's game. Do um, you feel the same way? Or yes, would he? Of is he transcendent? No, no. He if Babe Ruth was plugged into a lineup today, like he would have no idea what to do with Shohei Otani, Shohei Otani's sweeper or Jaron Johan uh, Duran's slider or. Hunter Green's that fastball, right? slider, like, yeah, any right. of those. Like, right. yeah. Babe Ruth was playing baseball at a time in which no one could do anything like they could now, right? Like the pitching that he saw, like this eighty mile per hour slop, would, would make us laugh today. Like that, you know, the three of us might hit three hundred in, in a lineup in nineteen twenty, but right. that's not really, that's not really material. And I'll tell you why: a person, a player, can only be content compared to their contemporaries, right? And so mm-hmm. the exact same thing that you just said about Babe Ruth. You could say about Aaron Judge 100 years from now, and it could still apply. That's categorically unfair. We are all products of our environment. The only way to compare players is in relation to their peers, in relation in relation to their contemporaries. So I'm not going to penalize Babe Ruth for the fact that he didn't he never saw a 100 mile an hour fastball, or the fact that he only that he primarily played against white players, or anything of that kind, because Babe Ruth was born when he was born, and so right. that's the lot that was his lot in life, and he happened. To, to just so incredibly exceed uh, everyone at that time. And he should be considered the GOAT for that. And so, I yes, I do agree with you. I just think it's the wrong question to ask. Okay, I, I can appreciate so that. So is the right yeah. question to ask then, how do, we, how do we reconcile baseball's obsession with its own history in the contemporary view of statistics and records being broken and things like that? It's a great question. Um, this is, this is sort of a, um, a passion point of mine because it's uh, without, without context, 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 neutral statistics are mostly worthless. Now, obviously we have ways to be able to measure players across eras, regardless of what you think of wins above replacement war is merely one tool. You can, we can debate to what blue in the face, how va- valuable it is. I like ERA plus and OPS plus from baseball reference because they neutralize for the ballpark in which you play and the scoring environment at the time. But comparing a player's raw stats, you know, like like comparing Babe Ruth's raw stats to Aaron Judge's raw stats is 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 apples and bananas. Like this, it's not like for like. I think it's important that we can both appreciate the history of baseball and the numbers that players produced, without without at the same time understanding like how hard it was to hit then, 
and how hard it was to hit now. The reason I thought Aaron Judge's season last year was so unbelievable is because of the number of different pitches he had to face and the quality of stuff that he had to face, right? And the fact that he's mm-hmm. playing in a much more difficult hitter's environment than Babe Ruth or, or for all for an all candor, most hitters ever were. Uh, right. Aside from maybe like the late mid to late sixties, and so we have the tools now that can do that for us properly. So that's that's like I said, you can only be compared to your contemporaries. But now, luckily, we have tools uh, for which you can be compared across eras to people from a variety of spectrums or time frames or ballparks or anything of that nature. Uh, unfortunately, that's not quite come to fruition with the Negro Leagues. My hope is that as they turn over more and more box scores and we get collect more and more information, we can finally reach a place where I can actually compare Josh Gibson to, uh, to Babe Ruth properly. We're not quite there yet. I hope that we are someday. Yeah, yeah that'd, be, that'd be a great way to go. So we only have a couple of minutes. Let's talk about the book just a little bit. I'm curious, what was your process? So Granny told us that like you were like heading up the research for this thing, that you did all the legwork for the research space. We told us. <laughs> I'm curious what your process was with that, because that is a lot of information to gather. Like that is dense with information. Yeah. Yeah. Dense is actually the best word, I think, to describe the book now that you say it. Like I really because I mean, like you finish each each of the 100 chapters and like he, he describes him as snackable. I, I think you're getting a meal out of every chapter that we're not, we're not heavy on words, but we're heavy on content, right. On volume yeah, in that yeah. respect. And so honestly, like it began as something of a science and ended up as something of an art. Um, you obviously start in a place in which you just scour the globe to make sure that you have, excuse me, you have every person that ever wore a certain number that might can, you know, be considered for this. Um, and you create a massive Google doc in my case, and you plug them in. Um, but we also wanted to include teams and commentators and coaches and race car drivers and horses and individual athletes, obviously, to be able to represent more than a century of sporting life, right? Like, to do this project right. properly, we had to transcend just who is the best player to wear number X. In fact, of our 100 chapters in our book, only 56 of them are jersey numbers, believe it or not. So that's a huge portion of the book. That's records and that's years. That's rivalries, right? So um, it took a long time. It took, I would say, probably six months for me to be able to compile all that stuff. And I spent probably at least at one point or another, <laughs> almost every day, opening up that document to make sure that I left no stone unturned. But it was my belief that we should really create like the book of record here, like the for lack of a better term. And in order to do that, you can't miss stuff. You can't exclude sports. You can't you can't short shrift your research. And so I took a lot of pride in both compiling that list. And then once we came to our 100 choices, making sure that those players, in most cases, were as as well represented with statistics and information as as could possibly be. And from that standpoint, I'm exceedingly proud because I think this is as good a like history primer that you'll find on most all of these people, short of reading their own biographies. But that's obviously uh, I was going to read a hundred biographies <laughs> in order to prepare this book. But I think that you'll come away illuminated by something, even if you know everything in the world about, say, Willie Mays, who, spoiler alert, uh, occupies chapter 24 in our book. I'd like to think that if you know everything in the world about Willie Mays, you'll still come away from reading this and say, that's one thing I did not know about Willie Mays, and so I'm better off for it. Yeah. Have you ever thought about putting together a pocket edition that somebody could take with them to the bar? Be like, okay, let's start the debate. Let's start the debate. We've got a, right idea. a definitive a, a, a list. New Testament, like a gospel tract. Yeah. Yeah. Gospel tract. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know if this, this is a compliment or not. Cause like, obviously I don't know that you can see the key of the size of the thing. You, you guys, you yeah. guys just held it up. The compliment that I received, I guess it's a compliment from a friend of mine. He's like, this is the perfect bathroom book because each of these chapters are perfectly in, in line with how long I usually take in the bathroom. And it's like, yeah. I don't exactly know if I should be saying that on the radio on shows but like <laughs> thanks alex i appreciate the, the, the two cents like that's his one piece of feedback like i like bringing this in the bathroom me you know what? i guess coming from a guy that is a compliment 
Yeah, it is. It, it is. Really is. I had a website that was based on that preference, that like yeah. that whole premise. <laughs> like it was called Stitched Thrones Light Baseball Reading for Your Time on the Porcelain Throne. That's that was the premise for the entire thing. I stole your so, idea. We built a book. Yeah, I think it works. <laughs> yeah. I've been wanting to write a bathroom meter ever since, and there it is. That's the one you guys already wrote it. <laughs> yeah, we talked about this with Mike though, because it is like dense. It's information dense, it's nutrient dense when it comes to like the amount of Twitter space you filled, but the content is just really intense. Let me ask I, you, I loved it. Let me ask you. You guys are both baseball guys. I got a few minutes left. I, I want to just ask each of you. Let's 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 talk about the baseball. Which okay. chapter stood out? Which chapter did you learn uh, something about more than any other? Which chapter did you think um, we may have gotten wrong and you know put a baseball player instead of someone else, or vice versa? Any like high level feedback is very interesting to me as as the one who compiled all this research. So you got, you guys can go in whatever order you want, but like just give me like your one high level baseball takeaway before I let you go. Go ahead, Brick. My my first one is I and I talked to Mike about this. I uh, I was really sad not to see Lou Gehrig occupy Chapter Four, and I he explained why, and I understand, and it's not a bad take at all. However, I he's my man. I got like he occupies my wall. So my favorite player of all time. I was a little I was a little. I get it. I uh, Pride of the Yankees is my favorite sports movie um yeah the luckiest man speech is the stuff of legend he was totally. he's the only player to ever wear number four for the yankees he's the he was the first athlete to ever have his jersey retired i think there are a lot of really good reasons to include uh, lou garrett it just came down to our belief that bobby Orr is probably the second greatest hockey player that ever lived and if you're not gonna put bobby yeah. Orr in the book then there's gonna be so few hockey players that wind up in the book um <laughs> yeah not to mention babe ruth is three spoiler alert Derek jeter is two right and so yeah. and joe maggio is five so the yankees are right. well represented unfortunately yeah. lou garrett did not make the cut. And honestly, number four is obviously his number. 2130 is Lou Gehrig's number. So when, right. we, when we read the sequel and it has 3,000 chapters, I'll make sure to include <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, that, that's The other awesome. one for me that's was the one for me was 51. I never would have thought Dick, Dick Buckus because initially as a Mariners fan, I went, went to Ichiro, right? So that's interesting because as a Mariners fan, you could also go to Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson, right. A lot of his career. That's, that's a really good – that's that, that's a that's a great point to make. Off the top of my head, I don't remember if Ichiro wore fifty one in Japan or not. Randy Johnson didn't wear fifty one for his entire career, so right, right. That, those were potential tiebreakers for us. I think Dick Budkiss has a serviceable case to belong at number fifty one oh, for sure. I yeah. do understand though, as a fan of Seattle, that is not a, a city that is well represented in the book, and so uh, if there was for a chapter reason. for which you could put a fifty one, he would it would most definitely have been one of those two guys. I think Randy Johnson is a greater player historically, but I'm not sure that he was a greater 51, if you know what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Last question before you let go yep. real quick. World Series pick. Who you got? So I've got Atlanta coming out of the National League. To me, that's the best team. I think they have the fewest holes. The lineup is stacked. I think the rotation will be plenty good enough, especially when Mike Soroka comes back. And they have one of the best general managers in the league who, if they have a hole at all, he will fill it at the deadline like he did two years ago when they won the championship. I'm sticking with my preseason pick of the Blue Jays to win the American League, despite the fact that Tampa looks unbelievable and the Yankees are going to be really good too. It's my belief, though, that the Blue Jays are going to be able to beat you any number of ways. That lineup is going to, I think, wind up leading the American League in runs. I think they're stacked, loaded top to bottom. They're a much better defensive team this year than they were in the past. And the addition of Mike Bassett, and uh, uh, excuse me, Chris Bassett in the offseason, I think will make that rotation really, really whole. And the bullpen's pretty good, too. I see, I see that team as being one that will ascend and by the end of the season be the best team that will come out of the American League. I got the Braves over the Blue Jays winning the championship this year. I think we're wide open 
in the American yeah. League. I really do. I don't think the Astros mm-hmm. have a stranglehold anymore. And the National League is loaded too. You could see three teams coming out of the East. I could see the Dodgers and Padres coming out of the out of, out of the West. And so far, Milwaukee looks really, really good in the Central. So I don't right? think this is going to be a chalky <laughs> year at all. I, I'm we're going to have a stretch run for the ages. I guarantee it. Yeah, for sure. Love yeah. it. All right, Hembo, thank you so much for joining us. We know you got to go. We really appreciate it a bunch. Thanks, friends. Have a good one. Bye-bye, man. Talk to you later. Catch new episodes of the Baseball Together podcast every Tuesday.